Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. We're your hosts for this week, it's me, Olivia Midgley. And me, Farmers Guardian editor, Ben Briggs. We'll bring you a new episode every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe through all your favourite podcast platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Acast, to make sure that you keep notified of all the new episodes. This week, with extensions to BPS and countryside stewardship deadlines, what does it mean for this year's farm payments? And the really big question, is a delay to the Brexit transition period and the phase out of direct support becoming ever more likely as the virus pandemic rumbles on? We get the inside track from an ex-civil servant. But first, agritourism has been deeply affected by the coronavirus pandemic, with businesses up and down the country losing millions of pounds in revenue due to the lockdown restrictions. Abby Kay has been speaking to North Yorkshire farmer Christine Ryder, who is a former in-your-field writer for Farmers Guardian, to see how her bed and breakfast business and those within the Yorkshire Rural Support Network have been affected. She also talks to Martin Dobinson of accountant Safri Champness, who talks about the government support being made available to rural businesses and shares his top tips on how to get through the crisis. You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmers Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmers Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today. Last month, the government took the unprecedented step of closing all pubs, restaurants and leisure spots and advised people not to travel or holiday unnecessarily. In one fell swoop, many farm diversifications, whether that's go-karting, glamping, cafes or lambing tours, were forced to close their doors, leaving farmers without a significant revenue stream for the foreseeable future. I have on the line Christine Ryder, a livestock farmer and B&B owner from North Yorkshire, who can tell us a little bit more about how this situation is affecting the rural economy. Christine, can you explain first of all what kind of impact the lockdown is having on your business? Well, basically, once the government locked everybody down, my telephone started ringing and everybody who was booked in, particularly through coming through lambing time, were obviously cancelling. I returned everybody's deposits. People have been really good about it. I mean, obviously, it's not their fault that they've got to cancel. So basically, my B&B is shut down for the foreseeable, really, and everybody else's. Are you expecting to lose the whole of this year's summer season or are you optimistic you might be able to reopen at some point? I pretty much think that this year is wiped out because the government were talking about it being possibly locked down till nearly Christmas or, or a slow restart of businesses. The difficulty, I think, for people like myself with a small B&B, I just have three rooms, is that you can't do this social distancing because everybody's in a small space and then you've got all the cleaning and everything else because you don't know where people have been. There's also difficulty of people coming because other than walking, what can they do if the pubs and restaurants and bars and everything is still closed? They've got nowhere to go to eat their evening meals. If some of the visitor attractions don't open, then there's nothing for them to do. So I think, I think this year is, is wiped out, really. Will this loss of income affect your core farming business or are the two completely separate entities? Well, we sort of keep them separate, really. It won't affect the farm. I mean, the whole sort of global situation might affect the farm in terms of prices for 
uh, finished lambs and, and cattle. But the B&B tends to be our sort of extra money, if you like. It's what we used to live on. And not that we'll be going out anywhere anytime soon, but that's kind of where my money goes. It pays for the extras, really, that you don't want to pull out of the farm business. How will you cope with the loss of income? You say you use it as your own personal spending money? In my opinion, I just have to batten down the hatches. There's nowhere to go, so I can't go out and spend any money. I have to admit, I don't particularly like going shopping and things like that anyway. But I think you just have to look carefully at, at where you do spend your money and anything that's unnecessary, well, you just you just don't have it. You just, as I said, there's nowhere to go. You're not going to be going on holiday. Yeah, just batten down the hatches. Christine, you're also chair of the Yorkshire Rural Support Network. Has this given you an insight into how the wider agritourism sector in your area is coping? Yes, because through the network, and you know, we've got a great regional coordinator in Kate Dale. Um, we've got Ben Barnett there helping with the charitable activities. We're, we're sort of hearing from people about the difficulties, and we've been able to signpost people to where they can go for help and support not necessarily through the Yorkshire Rural Support Network, but other charitable businesses that are out there and that can just help them along. Um, there's a lot of people are finding it quite hard to deal with in terms of mental health issues, social isolation and all that kind of thing. So it, it's, just, it's just a great sort of uh, place for communication. We've heard anecdotally that there are some farm businesses which do rely on agritourism, that people use money from those enterprises to fund their farming businesses. Is that something you've come across in North Yorkshire? There are people out there that are in that situation, yeah. The, the, the agritourism is definitely propping up the farm business. I'm not really sure that that's the right thing to do, but if farming's their passion and doing something else helps them to keep that going, then, yeah, I suppose it has to be a good thing. Do you think that will affect farm viability then over the coming months in some places? Well, yeah, because if they're relying on the tourism, be it glamping or B&B or whatever it is, and that money isn't coming in, then they can't afford to pay the feed bills and things for their animals. But that's where people like the Yorkshire Rural Support Network can put them in touch with some of the farming charities like RABI, who can help with short-term grants and loans and things, which might just help some of these people through. And some of the government grants as well, if they can access some of those. But the grants aren't there through the government for everybody right now. So people like me with my B&B, if we were relying on that, then we would be in difficulties. Self-catering people have been able to get this, if they pay business rates, they've been able to get this £10,000 grant which will help keep things ticking along. But no, if they can't access those, then there'll be a lot of people through this summer in quite difficult situations. On a more positive note, do you think there will be big opportunities for the sector once the lockdown is over? Oh, I think so. I think once we get through all this and people are able to restart their businesses, general population are going to be desperate to get out there, to visit friends, to see family, to travel... It would be nice if some of them maybe didn't travel abroad and could holiday at home and support the UK economy. Whether that will happen or not, I don't know. But I know through, well, like the year after foot and mouth, people were very supportive of the British countryside, of farmers, and I think people will be busy again. I'm, I'm optimistic about that one. As long as they can survive through this year, I think it will be good. 
CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this Covid crisis the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more go to www.cla.org.uk now we're joined by Martin Dobinson, partner at Safari Champness, who can give us a bit more insight into how rural businesses are being supported by the government. Martin, we heard from Christine just now, who runs a B&B. She keeps the B&B business and her farming business separate, but we know many farmers use the revenue from their diversification to prop up their core farm businesses. Do you think the lockdown could end up having an impact on farm viability across the country as these tourism and leisure enterprises remain closed? We all know farming businesses that survive on their BPS payments. And I think that those that have diversified will also be relying pretty heavily on that diversified income to support the main farming enterprise. Farmers do diversify. It is typically into things like tourism, hospitality and leisure. And I think ultimately that diversification is to spread business risk. So it feels pretty odd that it's those farming businesses that have diversified and tried to spread that risk that have been hit hardest by the pandemic. As well as having to close the diversified enterprises, I think survival of farming business is going to be significantly impacted by a whole host of other things, you know, things like farm labour availability, supply chain disruption, price volatility, ability to collect debts from customers, just to name a few. And, you know, what with Brexit and all the changes that are coming in with subsidies over the next few years, I mean, that all seems like a distant memory now, don't it? <laughs> we were already expecting a proportion of farming businesses to close due to those changes, but I think the current situation is only going to accelerate some of those business closures. And unfortunately, I think it will almost certainly increase the number that do decide to call it a day. What about government support? Do you think ministers have done enough to help rural businesses through this difficult period? I think generally the government's done a pretty good job overall with the, the various measures that they have introduced. And the measures that they have introduced, they've done it in such a short time frame as well. I think they've done well to, to get these things up and running. You know, the, the job retention scheme portals held up well under what must be a, a pretty extreme demand. And the, the cash grants have been coming through quite quickly as well. They've uh, recognised the impact on leisure and hospitality, particularly with things like the business rates, holidays, and you know, particularly for smaller operators with small business and sector grants. And then farming businesses, there's been specific working practice guidance issued for them to help them to continue to operate safely whilst observing social distancing. I think the recent announcement of the new bounce-back loan schemes is another welcome addition, particularly for those uh, smaller rural businesses. You mentioned social distancing there. There will be some businesses, rural wedding venues, for example, which may open later than others or be affected more greatly by observing social distancing rules. Will they need government support for a longer period? Absolutely, I'm sure. But government support will be needed for a considerably longer period by those in certain sectors, particularly hospitality and leisure. The current job retention scheme only runs to the end of June, but the government has committed to supporting businesses for as long as is necessary. That said, I mean, it, it remains to be seen what the government deems as necessary and whether that support will just be an extension of what they've already announced. But we'll certainly not have a scenario whereby lockdowns lifted and then life returns to normal. You know, it'll, be, it'll be a gradual return to some kind of normality. 
and the period over which that happens is going to differ from sector to sector. I think public confidence is going to take a huge hit as well. You know, will the public feel comfortable going back into bars and restaurants and attending weddings? I seriously doubt it. And with social distancing measures, those businesses aren't going to be able to accommodate the same capacities either. So I think hospitality will be one sector that does take a significantly longer period to recover. Now, we've asked Martin to put together a list of top five tips for any farmers struggling because their diversifications have been closed. Martin, over to you. Okay, number one. Firstly, I'd recommend having a regular, open and honest dialogue with your bank. If you're going to find it difficult to service existing debt or operate within agreed limits, I think have those conversations as early as possible. My experience is that the banks are understanding and will do what they can to work with and support businesses not in their interest to see customers' businesses fail. Number two, communicate with your suppliers and ensure that you make full use of payment terms that you've agreed with them. Number three, actively chase any overdue debts. It's highly likely that those that shout loudest will be those that get paid first. Number four, prepare cash flow and profit and loss forecasts for all business segments, not just for any struggling diversified enterprises, but also for the core farming business. And in doing that, take a detailed look at the cost base across all of those business segments and be ruthless in terms of where costs can realistically be cut. And number five, schemes such as the job retention scheme and the business loan schemes have been well publicised, as have things like deferral of July income tax payments and immediate VAT payments. But there are also time-to-pay arrangements that are available with HMRC. Now, those arrangements are negotiated and agreed by HMRC by individual taxpayers. And although that interest will apply to any tax payments that are deferred under those arrangements, they do mean that you can push some potentially quite large tax payments further down the line, whilst avoiding any penalties for missed payments. And those time-to-pay arrangements can be agreed for all taxes. Some really good advice there. And nice to hear Christine's optimism that the rural tourism sector will be back stronger than ever next year. I've now got Judy Kell Hammond with me, who's the Director of Policy and Advice at the CLA. Judy Kell, we've heard this week that DEFRA's extended the application deadlines for BPS and countryside stewardship. I suppose this gives farmers breathing space, doesn't it? Or do you think it might be storing up problems for the future in terms of are farmers going to get paid later as well? So I think it is very much welcome. It is going to be giving farmers breathing space, as you put it. And I think that it's important to say that one of the reasons why the the deadlines was pushed back from 15th of May to 15th of June is that the RPA have recognised that there were quite a lot of farmers who are not just doing their applications on their own, but also uh, need uh, advisors and agents to help them. And because uh, the normal drop-in centres, for example, are not available for obvious reasons, uh, the RPA has needed to think about their processes and simplify them and make them uh, more able to cope with a situation where people can't actually travel and meet people. So, for example, we've seen... uh, the ability to send supporting documents by email and in particular the famous RLE1 form which many of your listeners would be very familiar with. It captures changes to boundaries and entitlements etc and the RPA have now said yes you can submit it by email which is a a major shift. It's something that uh, the CLA had been asking for 
for a considerable number of years. And what I hope is going to happen is that it's going to continue uh, after the outbreak and, and revise what it can and cannot do in terms of uh, what it allows uh, applicants to do. Now, of course, there are people who uh, will have difficulties with the technology uh, and indeed with broadband, which is another uh, issue that the CLA has been campaigning on for a, a very long time. And so there is some support available as well. Uh, there is, for example, uh, what the uh, RPA is calling an assisted support offer uh, for people who are really struggling with their application. They can be referred to a special helpline, but they've got to be referred uh, through uh, stakeholder organisations, for example, uh, the CLA. So uh, it, the RPA are being um, pragmatic and uh, more open-minded than they perhaps were in the past to adapt to this extraordinary set of circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, in terms of responding to the second half of your question, is it a good idea or is it only going to cause problems in the future? What I understand is happening at the moment in terms of the profile of the applications that uh, RPA has received is that it's received more or less the same number as it would have done at the same time last year. And certainly we uh, at the CLA are encouraging our members to uh, put in their applications as fast as possible in order to make sure that payments can happen on time. Having said that, I think it's important to understand that one of the biggest constraints I suspect on the RPA is do they have uh, uh, contingency plans in place in case their, you know, a greater proportion of their staff, for example, fall ill? Um, they say that they do. I hope that they do, because I think that's the kind of things that could uh, be much more of a difficulty than pushing the deadline back by a month. And as you said there, these really are extraordinary circumstances, aren't they? And we're just living in extraordinary times. There's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about government probably being forced to extend the phase out of BPS because, you know, with, with farmers losing money due to diversifications, cash flow being extremely tight due to the coronavirus pandemic. I know you're a former civil servant, aren't you, Judy Kell? I mean, what do you think the likelihood is that we will see an extension to the Brexit transition for, for agriculture? Uh, well, I really wish I had an answer to that question. Um, that's certainly the rational thing to do. And that's what the CLA is pushing for almost on a, on a weekly basis with DEFRA ministers and other government departments. And indeed, the CLA had been calling for a 12-month delay in the start of transition away from BPS payments even before the start of the coronavirus outbreak. Now, for a start, uh, the agriculture bill, which underpins the new agriculture regime, is over, an, is over a year late. And more importantly, DEFRA has yet to give individual farmers information on what the profile of the remaining BPS payments uh, will look like over the whole transition period. If you couple that with the lack of information about what's going to be on the table in the new ELM scheme, uh, it makes it almost impossible for farmers and indeed diversified businesses to make informed decisions about how they're going to use their assets in the next seven years. 
And you can't build a business case or a business plan to take to the bank, for example, on the basis of what you know is going to happen in 2021 only. If you then add the tremendous pressure on cash flows and the uncertainty due to coronavirus, plus the uncertainty on future trade relationships, then a 12-month delay in the start of the transition away from BPS is not only a no-brainer, but we'd argue it's the right thing to do. And finally, the coronavirus pandemic might have put a stop to hundreds of shows and events across the country this season. I know I'm missing the beer tent at quite a few. But the recent online agricultural show, which welcomed 6,000 visitors on social media and 800 virtual livestock entries, not only raised £16,000 for farming charities, but also produced a new star in the form of three-year-old Barley Brook seller. In a video which was shared by Lake District farmer, judge and author James Rebanks, who also judged the young handlers class, the toddler leads a border Leicester U, Ethel, with such confidence that she's become an internet sensation. What's your name? I'm Barley Bookseller. How old are you? I'm three. What's your sheep called? <laughs> Ethel. And what type of sheep is she? Um, white. Border Leicester. Okay, can you take her for a walk for me? Yep, bring her back. Okay, stand uh, up for me. Stand. A big thank you to James Rebanks for sending us that clip. The video has already seen an astonishing 1.5 million views. Well done to Barley and her mum, Caitlin. You've got a real farmer in the making there. I know that I've been teaching my toddler this past weekend to shout at his sheep when they get out. You can read the full story and see the video at fginsight.com. That's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next Tuesday. So from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.